James Tillis was a, was a heavyweight boxer back in the 80s. If any of you are my age, at least, maybe you followed the career of Mike Tyson back when Mike Tyson was Mike Tyson. Uh, James, he was known as the Quick, Quick Tillis. He was the first guy that, to go the distance with Mike Tyson. And James Tillis, he's something of a cowboy from Oklahoma. He's a very country kid. When he decided to make boxing a career, he left Oklahoma, rode the bus to Chicago, and he tells the story of getting off the bus in downtown Chicago, uh, carrying two old cardboard suitcases, if you remember those. And uh, he was, of course, you know, Chicago does not look like Oklahoma, and he was uh, pretty uh, just awestruck with the buildings. He headed toward the Sears Tower. He walked to the Sears Tower, and, you know, he just he was just ready to, to take on Chicago, and he tells the story. He put his suitcases down as he looked up at the heights of the Sears Tower, and he said out loud, I am going to conquer Chicago. And when he looked down, his suitcases were gone. <laughs> uh, and that's a, I love that story. It's a funny story. It's also a pretty good illustration of what pride can do inside of, of people. Uh, he was ready to think of himself as more than he was prepared to be, and his pride led to his fall. Pride is a constant struggle for all of us, Christians, non-Christians, doesn't matter. Pride is, is at its heart, it's sort of at the ground floor, it's just self-focus, it's selfishness, and we're all naturally, normally selfish people. But make no mistake, God hates pride. If we were to open up Proverbs 18.3, we would read those words, God hates pride. We could turn to Proverbs 16 and read that everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. An abomination is hatred on steroids. And no one is immune from subtle attacks of pride. Disciples are not immune from pride. Jesus' disciples certainly weren't immune from pride because today in the passage we're going to study in the book of Matthew, the disciples are going to ask Jesus this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And from the parallel passages, we can read this story in Mark 9 and Luke 9, and from there we can tell, really, it's kind of even worse from a pride standpoint, because Matthew presents this as if they're asking Jesus just in general, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But we know from the other passages that they were arguing amongst themselves about who, who would be the greatest among their group. And this was not an isolated incident. We know in at least three different times, the disciples had conversations like this or arguments about who would be the greatest among them. Time, there's another time two of Jesus' disciples just came and got Jesus and flat asked him to make them the greatest, give them the greatest positions in the kingdom. We want that for us. And the other disciples were mad because that's what they wanted. The last time the disciples have a conversation like this about who's the greatest, do you know where they are? Where they are the last time this happens. 
They're in the upper room during the Last Supper. Jesus does, you know, the, this is my body, and he breaks the bread. He does his deal with the wine and the cup. And within minutes, the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. It's kind of, it's kind of comical almost. It seems so inappropriate at any Passover celebration, much less what we know of as the Last Supper, to be arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And it's no more appropriate in today's passage because even though we go through this in little chunks over a series of weeks, Jesus has just taught these guys to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And then a very short time later, they're arguing about Who's the greatest? It's pride is a sneaky, sneaky thing. Pride always concerns itself with the way we measure human greatness. The disciples want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom. Here's what they're talking about. Human greatness is always measured in things like position, wealth, intellect, accomplishment, beauty, talent, or success. When you think of a great person, someone who is great from a human standpoint, they're great probably in one of those things or something very similar. That's the way people measure greatness. And pride manifests itself in us or shows up in us when we have a desire to be recognized as having some of these human greatness things. I won't do this, but we could go around the room, and if we were honest, we would all admit at times, we have and we do fall into the trap of wanting to be recognized as having a greater amount of those those things. Unless our pride manifests itself in sort of an upside-down way, where we want to be self-focused and we want other people to see how the greatness things, the human greatness things are being withheld from us. How I don't have those things. Regardless, pride manifests itself. It always has to do with human greatness. Either we have it or we don't. The disciples have fallen into this very easy trap to fall into. They want to be great. Here's, and this is a great example of Christian pride. The disciples are Christians. They're Christ ones. They're Jesus followers. They have come to understand who Jesus is. He's the Christ, the Messiah, which means he's a king. He's the king of kings. He's going to reign over a kingdom that is never going to end. Right? But the disciples start to go, But kings have administrations. Kings have courts. Kings have like, you know, ministers, foreign ministers and things like that. And whoever gets to be in this king, in the king of kings, whoever gets to be a part of his administration, that person is going to be great. And that's what they want. They want to be Christians, but they still want to be great in the eyes of humans, of people. So that's the question Jesus has been asked, is going to be asked today. Who's the greatest? And this is 
how we measure greatness. And now we're ready, I think, to read our passage. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 16. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to read the first five verses of Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child to himself and set the child down before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted, or unless you turn, is really the word he says, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child, a child like this in my name, receives me. There's, there's our passage for today. It's kind of controlled by that question in verse 1 that we've already looked at. Who is the greatest. That's the question Jesus has been asked. And to, to answer that question of who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus decides to, to sort of perform an object lesson. He grabs uh, a little child, and it's the word for a, some sort of small little tyke, and he brings this child in amongst their little circle and stands him there. And then Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, unless you turn, unless you change, unless you Unless you turn around and become like little children, you're not even getting in the kingdom. Now, whatever Jesus means here, and we'll talk about what he does mean, but whatever he means, this much is obvious. The disciples have a picture of human greatness in their brains that they want, and that Jesus is making very clear there's no room for like levels of greatness the way people measure greatness in my kingdom. The two things don't go together. A child pictures that. They don't have status. They don't have power. They don't have the things of human greatness. But, but even, even more, notice when Jesus says, unless people turn and become like little children, they're not, even, they're not going to heaven. Isn't that what he says? Unless you turn... And somehow become childlike, you are not going to heaven. You're not getting in. That's what he says. And the negation is very strong. By negation, I mean where he says never, you will not. It's the strongest available in the Greek language. He uses two words, ume, with an aorist subjunctive. And that just means it's, it's the strongest way Jesus could say, if you don't become childlike like I'm talking about, you will not. There's no chance. There's no way. It ain't happening. You're not going to heaven unless you get this. Now that sounds like it's important. We better figure out what this means. Or we're going to leave here very nervous. What does it mean that we have to be childlike to go to heaven? Do, I have to, do we have to like fail at potty training and throw tantrums? Because if that's what it means, I'll do both of those things right now if you think it'll help. Now, we don't have to behave like children to go to heaven. This is not a behavioral thing. How do you know that? 
Because in the next verse, verse 4, Jesus says, whoever then humbles himself like a little child humbles himself, that's who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is not a behavioral thing. Here's how I know. Little children do not behave humbly, do they? If pride is self-focus, I have an exaggerated view of myself one way or another, and I'm self-focused. Little children are not other fo- others focused and humble and put others before themselves. If you don't believe me, if you want to test me on this, go into the nursery right now. Find one of our precious little ones back there who is playing with something he or she is really enjoying and just take it from them and see how others focused they are. Oh, you know, I know this isn't really mine. This belongs to the church, and you're part of the church, and I'm going to put you before me right now. Is that what they're going to say? No. And I've heard this kind of explained uh, this way, that what Jesus means is we have to behave in a childlike manner, and children are not judgmental, and children are gentle, and, and we need to behave like an innocent, unblemished child. And when I hear things like that, I want to raise my hand and, and go, you never had kids, did you? Because kids are, are territorial, selfish little boogers. Jesus isn't, uh, isn't saying we have to behave in a childlike manner. Here's what he's talking about. Here's why he uses the example of a little child. Let me go back to those verses. What he's saying is, unless you turn... Unless you get off of, um, get out of the habit of, of trying to stack yourselves up according to human greatness. And unless you accept that you, as far as the kingdom of heaven goes, your position, Jesus says, in whether or not you get into the kingdom and your position in the kingdom is a lot like, your position before God is a lot like a little kid's position down here on earth. A little kid. And here's what he means. A a little child might act like the whole world revolves around him and everyone exists to keep him happy. Right? And little kids are good at figuring out ways to make your life miserable unless you do for them what they want. They may behave that way. But they're not in charge. They're not self-sufficient. Their actual condition is one of complete dependence, right? I don't care how much in charge your two-year-old thinks she is. If you or some other adults don't take care of that two-year-old, she is not going to survive. She cannot fend for herself. This is not an experiment you want to try. Exposure of some kind, starvation, dehydration, freeze to death, something... Because little children are completely dependent to get what they need to survive from someone else, right? Jesus says, if you don't get that far, disciples, you are not getting in the kingdom of heaven. If you think through any kind of your own greatness, you are getting into the kingdom of heaven, your moral greatness, your human greatness, if you don't understand you're completely dependent upon the Father to get in, you ain't getting in. And this is not the first time that Jesus has taught this. Jesus is giving an example of something he's already taught. 
In fact, it's very important to the book of Matthew. In fact, the very first sermon Matthew ever gives us from Jesus, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. The very first thing Jesus ever teaches in the book of Matthew is basically another telling of this. He begins his first sermon, the Sermon on the, on the Mount, with what we call the Beatitudes. And I'm not going to re-preach the sermon I preached over these, but I want you to see this as foundational. Jesus has taught this before. The child example is an example. It's an object lesson of something he's been teaching all along. The Beatitudes say this. The blessed person, the person who's blessed by God, the blessed person is poor in spirit. That's the first beatitude. What's it mean to be poor in spirit? Poor is a financial word. If I tell you somebody's poor, what does that mean? It means they have way less than most people, right? Well, in Jesus' day, most people didn't have much. Most people in the first century, their main goal, financial goal in life was survival. So to be poor financially in Jesus' day meant you had less than people who were barely surviving and worked very hard to make sure they did survive. That was the poor, okay? We have different ideas of what it means to be poor today. Uh, Some of us think we are poor, even when we're really not. But the poor in spirit then, to be poor in spirit means spiritually, I don't have what I need to survive, spiritually. To be poor in spirit means I understand I'm bankrupt before the God of the universe. I cannot pay my way. I can't hold my weight. I'm I'm, I'm penniless and needy before God. Second beatitude, Matthew 5 verse 4 says, The blessed person is someone who mourns. If I understand my number one need is to be found righteous before God, because the Bible makes clear only the righteous are going to heaven. So the only people who are going to heaven are the people who God considers are righteous. But I realize I'm poor in spirit. I'm not righteous. I'm bankrupt before God. That should produce a sense at first of mourning within me. It breaks my heart that I can't have my greatest need, which is to be found righteous in God's eyes. Produces mourning in me. It breaks my heart. And the blessed person, verse 5, is also meek. To be meek means I do not advance my position. I do not work to advance my own position or condition. That's meekness. So if I put those first three together, if I'm poor in spirit, mourn and I'm meek, I I know I'm spiritually bankrupt before God, I'm destitute before God, I cannot pay my way into His good graces, that breaks my heart because I know I can't achieve what is my greatest need, which is to be found righteous by Him. And my meekness tells me I can't even begin to, to, to bridge the gap. I can't do anything about my spiritual bankruptcy. And then the fourth one, verse 6, says the blessed person hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He doesn't hunger and thirst for human greatness. The blessed person hungers and thirsts for righteousness that I know I cannot achieve. (laughs) I know I can't get. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. When Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty our sins deserve, He became our sin and then we become His righteousness. We have a righteousness that gets given to us freely as a gift. 
And we hunger and thirst for a righteousness we can't achieve. Now, the, the person who gets that far, if you're poor in spirit, you mourn that, you're meek, but you still hunger and thirst for the righteousness that only Jesus provides, you get these blessings. The kingdom of heaven belongs to someone like that. It's who goes to heaven. They, you'll get real comfort. You will inherit the earth. There's an inheritance waiting for you on the new heavens and the new earth. And you'll be satisfied. And that's the first part of Jesus' very first sermon. And he's teaching the same thing today. He says, guys, I've already told you this. You want to know who's the greatest. That's not what you're supposed to be hungering and thirsting for. You want to know who's going to be over the most people, who are going to have the most people look up at them and say, wow, look at that guy. He's really something. Jesus, said, uh, Jesus is saying, and I didn't save you just so that you could take your ticket to heaven and go right back to the human greatness game where life is like a, a tournament where you compare yourself to other people and whoever's greatness advances to the, to the better level. It's not how my kingdom is supposed to work. We're going to be dependent, completely dependent upon God like a child is dependent upon adults or parents in this world. There's one other way we need to be childlike. This is the easy part for us. Little children get accepted by good parents, don't they? Why are little children accepted by good parents? Because of what the child can do for the parent? Because of how well they perform? Because they, they pull their weight around the house? There's a reason Jesus pulls a little child in. Little children don't pull their weight around the house very well, do they? They're expensive little buggers, to tell you the truth. They take a lot better than they give. They really don't do much that's very beneficial. But you accept them not because of what they do, but because either they were born or adopted into your family. They're yours. They're also ungrateful for what you do. Parents, can I get an amen? Right, you take care of them. You pay for everything. You are literally the human earthly reason they exist at all. Then you ask them to do something around the house. They, they roll their eyes completely out of their skull and complain about how slow your internet is that you provide. <laughs> right? And what you want to do is you want to say, well, uh, according to my records, like you're 16 years behind on your rent. So that's what we want to do. But no, we accept our kids because they're, they're ours. Because they were born mine, they were adopted as mine. That's the best we can hope for in our relationship to God. Is that I am accepted as an ungrateful undeserving, unworthy, snot-nosed kid adopted by the God of the universe.
Jesus says, until you understand, that's your standing. You're not getting into heaven. If you're depending upon your goodness, your accomplishment, your talent, your anything, boys, you're not even in the kingdom to begin with. But Jesus does not say there's no such thing as greatness in the kingdom. In fact, he pretty clearly says there is. In verse 4, he says, Whoever then humbles himself like this little child is the what? Is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't say everyone in the kingdom of heaven is going to be completely equal. Because that's not true. Some people will be rewarded somehow greater than other people. Jesus just says, how God measures greatness is not the way we measure greatness. It's different. The more accepting we are of our complete helplessness and dependence will help make us God's kind of great. See, see when a Christian, when you or when I, when a Christian really understands, I don't have anything in and of myself that makes me impressive to God, that makes me great in God's eyes. I'm completely dependent upon Him for my standing. Now that's somebody God can use. When I've thrown away the human greatness scale for my evaluation of myself and how I'm doing, which means I no longer look at where you live and what you wear and what you do and who you get to hang around with to try and tell me how I'm doing in this life. I, I, I've thrown that out. My only standing that matters comes from God and He's given me my standing. God says, well, now there's somebody I can use. Because Jesus said, What's it look like to follow Jesus? Anyone who would become my disciple, anybody who would follow me must do what? Deny himself and carry his cross. Denying self and promoting self sound like opposites, don't they? I'm going to try that again. Denying self and promoting self sounds like opposite, don't they? This is where you nod and pretend you're paying attention. It helps me. It makes me feel better about myself which I'm trying to get over. Uh, no, self-denial and self-promotion are opposites. Whether I'm a Christian saved by grace or not, as long as I stay stuck trying to make myself feel like I'm great based on human greatness things, that in itself is a barrier to God's kind of greatness. Because God's kind of greatness only comes from people who deny themselves and are willing to bear the shame that comes with following and obeying Jesus. And if I want to be great in your eyes, Jesus will ask me to do things that will not help that. It just won't. And that's why Jesus gives us something of a test. Something of a test to see how we're doing Like, how, am I this kind of childlike? Have I really embraced 
my full dependence upon God? Have I thrown out the human greatness scale? Do I not think of myself and how I'm doing in this world based on my talent, my accomplishments, my beauty, my beautiful flowing wavy hair, my bank account, my popularity? Do I not do that about me? How do I tell how I'm doing? Check out verse 5. Click me one time there, Chad, would you? There we go. It went. I think this is something of a test. Jesus says, And whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. Jesus isn't talking literally about little kids. And that's important to know because for the next month, He's going to be talking about his little children. In Matthew, in the book of Matthew, little children are disciples, are people who get it. His little children are people who have accepted their helplessness and childlike state before the Father and are denying themselves and carrying their crosses. Now, how do I tell? What's one way I can tell? If I've embraced my own childlikeness and have stopped viewing life through the lens of human greatness, Jesus says, Ask yourself, who do you accept? Who do you welcome? And why? It is human nature to operate, based, operate in life based on the human greatness scale. And if I operate in life based on the human greatness scale, I will try to be around and do life with people who are at least at what I view as my level or higher on the human greatness scale. It's human nature to accept people where I get something out of the transaction of our relationship. I get something socially. If I can get you to hang out with me, people will think I'm as cool as you are. We don't stop doing that when we get out of junior high, by the way. Um, I might get something professionally. I might get something financially. It's human nature to accept, to welcome, to fellowship, to do life with people where I get something out of the, out of the transaction on that human greatness scale. Jesus says, but whoever, whoever, the people they welcome, the people they do life with, the people they accept, when you find yourself more and more accepting the ones who are my little children, who have thrown out the human greatness scale, that's a pretty good indication you've welcomed me. And now, don't, don't, don't misunderstand here. This is not as simple as, do you accept poor people? Because, or unpopular people, or whatever, we go back to that list of human greatness, the people who don't have those things. It's not as simple as, do I accept people? Because those of us who, who don't have those things, I can be poor and still be just as hung up on money as, as a rich person. I can just be hung up on, well, you know, I could be rich too if I had everything given to me. And the only reason I'm not, I could be hung up on what has been withheld from me. And I can still be in love with those things, just wishing I had them when I don't. 
Jesus isn't saying, whoever welcomes people who don't have human greatness have welcomed me, although that's part of it. What he's saying is, when you start to do life with and evaluate folks and who you want to partner with in life based on their childlikeness, based on whether or not they get this, based on whether or not they know they are helpless, they can be... And all strata, all along the scope of human greatness, there are people who get it and people who don't. But when I throw the human greatness scale out the window, that should begin to affect who I desire to do life with and partner with and hang out with and accept and welcome. Because the people that I used to look at, boy, I wish I could get there, to their level, changes. It becomes more like, man, that person like exudes the gospel. That person is somebody, that's what I want to what, what be like. And it's not the rich person, the talented person, the, the whatever It's the person who is a child of the king. A person who is poor in spirit and meek, but hungers and thirsts after righteousness. A person who has the right kind of impact on others around them. That becomes like what I want and who I want to do life with. Jesus says, if you find yourself doing that, take heart you know you have welcomed me because that's not the way humans generally work. And this just makes sense. This makes sense. You know how I know? Because if, 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 if you get here, if you get to this point where you more and more want to be around people who follow Jesus, who do it right, who get it, yes, they fail, they mess up, but... The important things are the important things. And you want to welcome people who who have that. What's happening is you're becoming like Jesus. Think about this. Jesus, even though he actually did have status and greatness because he's God, he made himself this kind of childlike. He made himself completely dependent upon the Father. To take care of him, to lead him, to to save him from the cross. Why did Jesus do that? Because he wanted to welcome other little children. Because he wanted other people who would embrace childlikeness to the Father and use them and do life with them and, and be with them forever. So where does this passage find you this morning? First, I would just ask, like, are you childlike enough in this sense uh, to to need to be accepted by God, to need God and to be accepted by God? Jesus wasn't a lion. If you don't get to the point where you realize, I cannot get there, then you're not getting in. I, I can't get myself there. 
I can't be righteous enough, be good enough. I can't be great enough to where God says, okay, now that's someone I've got to have in heaven. Do you, do you understand your need for a Savior and that Jesus is it? Second, maybe we should ask ourselves this every day. What kind of greatness am I going to pursue today? What kind of greatness am I going to pursue today? Social greatness, financial greatness, positional greatness, or childlike greatness. And then, and then finally, if you can answer those first two questions correctly, has that started to work its way out in, in who you desire to do life with? Do you accept others based on their level of human greatness or their level of childlikeness in the sense that Jesus meant it? Things to think about. Pray with me and we'll close. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Uh, for sending your son as a literal child and, and making him childlike in this sense, completely dependent upon your will. Thank you for the example of Jesus becoming childlike to make other children sons and daughters of yours. God, we are, we are so dependent upon you we just want to remember that every single day so that we don't get stuck pursuing a kind of human greatness that we know will not amount to a hill of beans when we stand before you. You're not going to ask us how much money we amassed, how much popularity we increased. You're not going to ask us how, how, what kind of clothes we wore. But you are going to judge how faithful we were to you. And if we don't embrace our childlikeness and dependence upon you, that's not going to be a pleasing day. So God, help us to pursue your upside-down kind of greatness that's measured in how, how helpless we feel without you and your strength. And God, give us one another to be children of Jesus, embracing our weakness and impacting the world in your name, to your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.